0: Maybe the coked-up line coach was really good. Do you know?
1: <laughs> that's not a bad theory. That's
0: as good as anything I've got. But. <laughs> so hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views and overreactions to all things NFL. This week we'll be looking at a lot of news from around the league, especially a lot of trades happening coming up to the deadline. We're going to look at a review from some of the games from last week, take some of your questions, the listeners, and then look forward to our picks for next week's games. So hey guys, we've got Tanner here, we got Ronan, hello, and we got Harry, hello. you it up that time, yeah, yeah, he yeah. threw Let's us keep... off. Yeah, like. yeah. what That's is good. this? Keeping you on your toes, guys. I'm Ronan Fitzpatrick. Uh, we've just <laughs> traded places, you know. What's <laughs> <laughs> the crack of yourselves. That's any fun? Uh,
1: no, not much. Same old, same old. Really. Mm. Work still mental. Came off my week off, which was nice. Back into the office this week, which is less nice. Um, so just just uh, just tipping away, working the bank holiday. That was, uh... yeah. Turns Um, out it's not a bank holiday anywhere else, and they'll still want you to do stuff. Yeah, that's true.
0: What about yourself? It says Cork
2: Grand, yeah. Was joined the uh, jazz festival. Although there's actually not as much jazz
0: as you would expect. Ah, That's good fun. I I remember going down to it a couple of years ago and very cracking. So we went to we went to a couple of gigs. It was about four years ago, three years ago. It's good fun. It's good fun. Yeah, similar here. Kind of bit working away, uh, getting a few bits and pieces done, trying to look at. Went looking at, like, wedding venue stuff on the weekend. And then, uh, then, obviously, we had Halloween. Had a few bits of crack for that. And now uh, I'm going to have to stay up until, like, half one tonight and pick up the folks from the airport. So, fun times. I'm going to do a couple of hours of study. I've got my course thing is now starting. So, uh, so I've got all that. So, I'm going to give a read through some of that today. And, uh, yeah, be really tired tomorrow. Um, we're now currently on uh, watch for Marie, the fiancé, her sister... Is set to pop anytime soon, so we're expecting a Baba to be born uh, probably Saturday or Sunday. Hey, Harry, are you feeling
2: slightly adult like with various news items?
0: Yeah,
1: I mean, I just, <laughs> I, just, I, just, I just feel like I failed miserably, and next week he's gonna be like, oh, I bought a house, guys, and I'm just gonna jump out the window before we finish <laughs> recording.
0: <laughs> That's, that's enough about Ireland, I suppose, we've got a shitload of NFL news to get through, so we'll, we'll start cracking straight on in there. So we'll start with a couple of the big news stories from during the week. Houston owner Bob McNair uh, got himself into a bit of hot water. Uh, he made some interesting comments at a meeting with owners, talking talking in relation to the players' unions players stances on the national anthem how they were kind of collectively acting he said he couldn't have the inmates running the prison or it would be similar to the inmates running the prison as you can imagine this did not go over well with the players whatsoever he tried to defend himself tried to say it was just a turn of phrase and all kind of stuff but they had a number of players walk out of practice Uh, a discussion about a wider number of players uh, moving out maybe more collective action happening from it you know, it 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 worked itself out. Interestingly enough, and we'll come to this a little bit later, the players seem to be using uh, as a mouthpiece their uh, recently returned left tackle, who is no longer with the team as the focal point for the discussions with the management, which is an interesting movement. But the players all played, uh, the majority of them kneel during the Houston-Seattle game. So what do we make of this? Harry, I'll come to you on this first. Like... This is obviously a stupid turn of phrase, but do you think it was just a stupid turn of phrase or a little bit of an insight into the thinking of Bob McNair?
1: Yeah, I think it's a bit of both because it is a stupid turn of phrase. Also, it's like inmates running running the asylum is actually the phrase. So I think there might have been a bit of a Freudian slip in how, uh, <laughs> how McNair put it across. And then his attempt, his first excuse, which is like his first apology was like, oh, I'm sorry if you were offended. Mm. And then his second apology was like, I was talking about the league and the owners. And it's like, who's what bob. <laughs> but like bob mcnair is very right-wing he's a massive political donor to the republican party and to donald trump in particular uh to various right-wing causes and packs and super packs through the years so outside you know there's there's a, there's a context in which you can say okay it was a slip of the tongue it was a stupid turn of phrase but when you look at who's saying it you're like yeah i think this might betray a bit about what bob mcnair thinks and like the media then massively hyped it and we got this whole, oh, there's going to be, was obviously the players have walked out of practice or didn't show up to practice, uh, like DeAndre Hopkins and so on, and the media hyped it up as this big, big thing, oh, what's going to happen? And then all that happened was that the players just knelt, uh, more of them than had done before, but they did so, I think, more as a sign of protest than anything, because at the end of the day, he can make these comments, but I don't think there's a huge amount of players can do about it as a team, I think this is the sort of thing that only has an effect if you have league-wide action which is why the process we're seeing with the meetings and representations and so on are going on
0: yeah and i think we're probably going to see a little bit more of this coming out as we're seeing more group meetings happening a lot more collective action coming from the players as well a lot of a lot of more wide discussions we as we talked about this previously a lot more players organizing to get their message across more so than where was happening previously so i imagine this will only grow and grow other big news this week after a horrendous performance against the Chiefs on Monday Night Football Denver decided that it's finally time to make a change at the quarterback position and uh, all change is good change right uh, change back to the crustacean sensation the Brock Lobster who is currently being paid I think 700000 to be on the Broncos and £16 million to not be on the Browns so he takes over from Trevor Simeon who had a horrendous just load of picks now this comes as well a week after all of the statements from the coaching staff were that Simeon is their guy, they're going to stick with him regardless, it doesn't matter whatsoever. This also then provides questions surrounding Paxton Lynch and basically why he isn't ready being a first round pick that they moved up to collect and all that kind of stuff. So what do we reckon fits on this? Like, does this make sense to swap to the Brock Lobster or is this just, you know, it's better than throwing our first round pick out who's not ready and looking like bigger idiots?
2: Yeah, it... It, it, it's confusing It's problematic And I think it just gives a sense of the desperation That the Denver Broncos had I think their biggest issue With Trevor Simeon Wasn't necessarily his play But the fact that he got careless with the ball That he was giving the ball away He was turning it over And for a team which I think feels That as long as we like don't give the other team Any offensive help The defence uh, can get it done Can keep games into like very close quarters I suppose the one thing about Brock Osweiler is that if you're going to play a conservative game plan he's certainly well qualified in those sets so you know if you're a tight end in Denver this is a great reason to celebrate <laughs> yep. because that's the only type of player he passes to and if Trevor Simeon is throwing interceptions to those set of people I'm sure Brock Osweiler will throw it you know four yards instead and not get an interception mm. uh, so yeah like I think it's, it's really bad I think on two levels first we've seen enough tape of Brock Osweiler to know that he's a Incredibly limited quarterback doesn't really see the whole field, and who has a tendency to basically go for the most conservative play all the time. Maybe that makes sense for the Denver Broncos, as they're currently set up with the lack of offensive talent they have, and with the defense still looking so good. But it's the kind of thing which is going to bring—it's not going to get the fans around. So they better hope that that works. And I think, yeah, I think you know, it's hard not to look at this as a damning indictment of Paxton Lynch. That they—you know—this is someone they drafted in the first round that they traded up to get. And yet, two years into his career, he's still not been, like, they don't trust him enough to actually put him in, in place of a journeyman seventh rounder or someone that they got rid of and brought back and who is actively so bad, someone is,
1: like, salary dumping him at the moment. Yeah, and I think there's one important thing to note that I think shows the depth of desperation here is that, and Ronald, quite quite rightly, I agree with you completely. That Denver need to run a conservative game plan. I think we used to praise beforehand Trevor Simeon for his ability to play within his limits, and he has been turning the ball over a lot recently. But here's a stat, right? Brock Osweiler, twenty-six career touchdowns, twenty-two interceptions. Trevor Simeon, twenty-seven career touchdowns, twenty interceptions. So, is it going to be an upgrade? Ooh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's like watching it. They do have a very, very stacked defense, but just it's just depressingly bad to see how their offense. It's just, just failing to fire on on in any way whatsoever. Although on the, the only plus side to it was uh, Jamal Charles got over his 10,000 career rushing yards during the game, which is nice. Absolutely. So we'll move on to some trade uh, signings, news stuff. So there's been a lot of this. So we'll start at the top. San Francisco trade a 2018 second round pick for Jimmy Garoppolo from New England. And they released Brian Hoyer. So San Francisco have decided they're not going to wait till the off-season. They're not going to pursue Kirk Cousins. They're just going to... Go now, get Jimmy Garoppolo, install him for the back half of the season, see what they get. Presumably, they're not giving this up for the for the one year. So they're going to either franchise tag him or get this longer term deal done with him and kind of roll with that. So, Harry, he's coming from your team. Uh, you're obviously pretty sure that avocados are going to save Tom mm-hmm. Brady's spine. Do you think it's a good move for San Francisco or one that they could have maybe waited on and made a call in the offseason? It became at a point apparent that New England are not going to be able to, and Bill
1: Belichick has said as much, that New England cannot keep both Brady and Garoppolo moving mm-hmm. forward, which makes sense. Garoppolo has looked fantastic in, admittedly, yeah, very small sample size. I think he's thrown less than just under 100 career passes. Mm-hmm. You'd say on average it looks maybe like a, a, a desperate move and they could have waited, but what we're not seeing here is what else is going on. Like We know other teams are interested in Garoppolo from last off-season, so there may have been something else that San Francisco essentially felt that they needed to strike before Mm -hmm. anybody else did to avoid losing out on it also you know if you're doing this rebuild thing it doesn't I don't think it really matters where when you bring in the quarterback you bring him in you know eight games early that's probably not necessarily a bad thing Yeah, because you have something of a better idea you're not necessarily starting from cold and you have half season to essentially acclimatize him to the playbook familiarize him with the concepts they're running and say right next year we're going to start this properly but this year we've actually got a bit of a run up so Mm -hmm. we have a slightly more comfortable quarterback coming into it and we understand what adjustments the quarterback needs to make and then what adjustments might need to be made to the system and the players we acquire in the draft Mm -hmm. to better suit the quarterback. So overall, yeah, I think it's a good move for San Fran. I think they've acquired a a very talented QB. I think they might have looked at the draft and gone, actually, not as good as we thought, which is what we're starting to see now. We're seeing a lot of holes in the games of Sam Darnold and so on. Yeah. So from their perspective, it made sense. And for New England at this point, once it became apparent that they couldn't keep him, you had to get something out of it. Yeah, they probably could have got more if they traded him uh, last season. But a second round, you know, it's not yeah. bad. It's essentially effect neutral.
0: And, it's, and, it's and, and, and let's be honest, it's, yeah, it's, it's effectively a end of the first. So uh, this
1: and, is this is going to be this is going to be a move that's gonna. Like, this is this is the future for San Francisco. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this has to be and poor CJ Beathard last yeah. two
0: games. And to be fair, though it's also like there, there's a big plus to San Fran if they're going to have a very high pick if they've got their quarterback sorted. There's going to be a lot of quarterback needy teams looking at this draft. They can pick up almost because they're going to have one of the top two three picks here for definite, right? So they're going to be able to maybe turn that into two or three picks instead, and then be able to pick up maybe someone sixth or seventh, and then someone at the back end of the first or something like that. I, I th- they might, but look for this team to get rid of Carlos Hyde and pick up Saquon at the start top of the draft. But yeah, also Brian Hoyer is now agreed to three year deal in uh, in New England as well. So uh, fun times. This is interesting because also it does, and we'll discuss this later on, have a very big knock-on effect for succession plans and what this means for the AFC East later on as well, which will be interesting. Uh, Philadelphia have traded a fourth-round pick for, Like, how the fuck did this happen? Fourth-round pick <laughs> for Jay Ajayi from Miami. Ajayi had fallen out of favour with some of the... Uh, Coaching staff there who had gone out and complained about him freelancing somewhat and not doing his job. Uh, He hasn't had a great start of the season in Miami, but let's be honest, Miami haven't had a great start to the season in Miami. This is one that I think is a good value. He's got another year left on his rookie deal. This is a guy who put up, what, four 200-yard games last season as well. Like, this this is a great pickup for Philly, isn't it? When you look at the
2: Philadelphia rush offense, it's been doing pretty well but I think you could definitely see that since uh, Darren Sproles went down that they lost a bit of diamondism, and they were certainly lacking in any real like playmaker at third down, like Wendell Smallwood and Corey Cleveter are, are okay, but they like they had started to make uh, LeGarrette Blount their feature back, and Lagarde Blount is an incredibly effective role player, but he's not a feature back, he's not the kind of the person you want to be putting on in all situations, because he's he's got his limits basically, and there's definitely been a sense that over the last over the last few games that other teams have been te- like be keying in on the Gareth Blood and kind of reducing his effectiveness. Whereas with J.H.I., you bring in someone who has an incredible amount of upside. And obviously in the recent past has put on some amazing tape and who has the potential to be a tree down uh, a tree down back if you want him to be. Now you may prefer to only put him in first and second as a more of a power back situation and then you can keep him and the Garret Blood fresh because obviously Garrett Blood is quite old as well so you want to keep him kind of fresh because this is a team that not only is JJ probably a good in a good situation to be their feature back going forward but this year obviously the Philadelphia Eagles have a great record and they obviously have a great belief that this is a season where they can genuinely contend in an NFC in a, and for the Super Bowl, especially with Aaron Rodgers' injury opening the NFC up to a huge degree. Yeah, so I think it makes sense for this season to add this kind of dynamic playmaker, and it makes sense going forward to get a running back, a long term running back solution, uh, which goes beyond the Garrett Blunt and Darren Sproles, who are obviously nearing the end of their careers. So I think all around it makes sense for them uh, for Miami, like. You, you prove a lesson Adam gates you go girl like yeah. you sure showed him by training him to one of the top team top teams in the NFL I'm sure he's devastated like yeah. know, like in Miami like the whole quarterback situation has blown up and the offensive line hasn't come together despite the like the investment they made so this just kind of looks like a team that that you know Adam gates tried to assert his authority for the like the, for the foreseeable seasons uh but I think it, it was definitely cut your like nose despite your face type of, Type of scenario.
0: Yeah, what's what's Jai's pass protection like? So I'm just thinking, with the loss of Jason Peters there, would he be able to provide a little bit of help in those spots as well? It's all right.
1: Like he's not spectacular, but he's pretty solid. He's a pretty solid pass protector.
0: Yeah. Moving back over to the AFC East, Buffalo decided that it's time to make a run at things and try and break this is it a 22-year playoff streak or something along those lines. They've got the longest playoff drought of uh, any team in American sports, apparently. They've traded a third and a seventh rounder for Kelvin Benjamin from Carolina. This is an interesting one. Gives them a large body pass. Well, really, kind of a. WR1 option on their team now I think this is probably a good move for them I think Kelvin Benjamin has looked good this season although there's been problems on that Carolina offense I think he will fit quite nicely in here and it's just a question of how quickly he can pick up that playbook
1: well I think this is a kind of a whoops probably shouldn't trade traded Sammy Watkins kind of move isn't it
0: well I think I think they they I think they made the Sammy Watkins trade at a point where they didn't expect themselves to be competing no but (laughs) (laughs) imagine if they kept him yeah and the context is, is that you know the
2: regime that came in came from carolina so if you're going to pay if you're going to pay a guy cuz they're voting the, like, the last year of the rookie contract it might as well be the guy that you know and you trust not
0: the guy mm. who came in and kind of felt his attitude wasn't right. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how they work out as the as the season progresses. Seattle made a big move, I think specifically following how bad their left tackle performed in their game against the uh, the, the, the Texans' pass rush. They've traded a 2018 third and a 2019 second rounder for Dwayne Brown. It was also yeah. good to originally include Jeremy Lane, the cornerback, but he failed in medical. So uh, Seattle deciding that they wanted to get a kind of bookend left tackle in place, one that they're willing to pay to hopefully protect uh, Russell Like. Realistically, there's still the problem of one good piece does not align make. It just means that he has one maypole he can try and run around as people pursue him. <laughs> but uh, this is this is interesting. So, Fitz, what, what what's your take on this? Are you happy with this move? Yeah, uh, personally,
2: I'm happy. I think like Dwayne Brown, he's a he's had franchise, he's got franchise tackle like pedigree, and he comes from a zone blocking scheme which is very similar to the one run by Tom Cable. So he, he's probably actually one of the most experienced players in that system straight away so that's obviously a major bonus in terms of scouting out the potential people that Seattle has been associated with for left tackle replacement mm-hmm. um, I think you know like you, you say the left tackle it's only one position but the, the truth is that Rizzo DiAmbo isn't the left tackle he is a swing like offensive lineman Who
0: no he's a swinging gate line. he's barely a football yeah. player yeah he also like and he also isn't that good like, he's, he's he is the bottom ranked lineman yeah. in the entirety of the NFL yeah so he's. Pretty- <laughs> so they were literally better starting nobody. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I think Dwayne Brown comes
2: in and he showed in that Houston game that uh, he certainly still he is he, there isn't a huge amount of rust there. He did a decent game against the Seattle uh, defensive line, which is still pretty good. And I think you know it was a better deal when Jeremy Lane was involved because that involved a bit of a salary cap dump with, with Jeremy Lane's contract. So it'll be interesting to see the Seahawks managed to make that contract work so yeah like I think it's a good move for Seattle it makes sense this is someone who could be the left tackle for a few years uh, and like and also could perhaps mentor like uh, George Font if he comes back and it's the talent that they expect mm-hmm. and it makes sense for this season because the Seahawks are in a really good position uh, with the record uh, but are
0: facing a competitive NFC West. Yeah, the LA Rams. Yeah, they also added in uh, Dwight Freeney, a one-year contract that we speculated about last week. So that happened uh, about two hours after we uh, <laughs> we recorded the podcast. Um, Jacksonville going all in on their defense again. Signed linebacker Telvin Smith to a four-year, forty-four million uh, contract to a twenty and a half million guaranteed. Uh, they also traded a sixth rounder uh, for uh, Marcel Darius so uh, that's that's fun they're really going for this uh, as, soon as, as soon as once you get a nickname you kind of have to bet the players to make sure you guarantee your Saxonville name it's uh, working it's good it's solid all yeah. they need to do now is find a quarterback LA Chargers have traded Dontrell to Chicago for a 7th round pick and New York Jets pick up Rashad Robinson cornerback from San Francisco for an undisclosed pick uh, there was a couple of trade rumors surrounding a couple of other players there nothing came to fruition uh, around Jimmy Graham Eric Ebron uh, Megatron and um, and then we've also got uh, a big story, some say it's true, some say it's contested, there's certain elements of it that are definitely true and then there's some parts that are up in the air. <laughs> Cleveland had a bit of a mistake, happened, we are going to discuss this in the questions from the listener section, as a few of you message us about this, but basically Cleveland completely brownsed it up, <laughs> which is uh, brilliant. We'll fly through some of the injuries, Dante Hightower is torn pittoral, he's gone for the season for New England, uh, Harry is holding his head in his hands, sad face. I don't want to talk about it. Perfect. Chicago. Zach Miller dislocated his knee. He's gone for the season. This was horrendous. Uh, he was in surgery. They had to do surgery to try and save his leg because he damaged the um, the arteries and uh, got them basically. What they were afraid was going to happen to Teddy Bridgewater's leg is what was happening to Zach Miller's leg. It and they is, took away his touchdown. They took away his touchdown. It was just, just, uh, just just nasty. So uh, it's unfortunate for Chicago uh, Zach Miller. Decent tight end, good to have them then there for the, for the young rookie for all, you know, six passes that he'll throw a game. Baltimore, Joe Flacco got concussed after a late hit from Kiko Alonso, which I'm sure we will discuss a little bit later on. I wonder what section that game's going to be in. Uh, Indianapolis Colts, uh, Andrew Luck is completely fucked. He's headed to IR for the season. Uh, I believe he can boomerang back in nine weeks, so if they make them playoffs... Uh, but yeah, he's gone. Uh, Miles Garrett got a concussion. He self diagnosed because he's worried about that and he wanted to make sure everything is grand. A uh, few other ones safety Jimmy Ward's broken his arms, gone for the season. Solomon Thomas, MCL sprain, one to two weeks. Joe Staley, facial fracture. Ugh, that sounds so horrible at least one week uh, Noah Spence oh, okay. torn labrum gone for the season Mason Foster torn labrum gone for the season Chris Covington torn bicep gone for the season uh, it was not a great week for the old injuries Ew. at all now on to our favourite part of this and every week uh, crime and punishment what are they going to do it's probably felonies uh, Ziggy Elliott's injunction has been denied and the suspension has been reinstated uh, so he will currently at the time of us going to press be out for six games so like we all know this is due to due to happen at some point. Like, surely... Now, I don't think they have a period of six games that would be optimal for him to miss. But, like, like surely this is something you just need to get done.
1: Yeah, I think part of it is probably that Ezekiel Elliott doesn't want to accept uh, culpability for what he has. Mm-hmm. More probably than not, I think we can fairly comfortably say at this stage, done. Yeah. Yeah, the longer it drags out, the worse for for Dallas. The last thing they want is going into a, a playoff. And given the way the Eagles are looking, possibly like it'll be a, possibly a road, well it'll definitely be a road game almost yeah. certainly, um, without that running back. Uh, now, who knows what's going to happen at this point? It's likely the Spencer will kick in now, so it'll be fine from that perspective. Mm-hmm. And it'll be interesting, I suppose, to see what they get out of Morris and McFadden and Rod Smith. Yeah, in the backfield. But this is just like they knew they were never going to win this. Like since the DeflateGate precedent, this was just not a case they were going to win. Yeah, and they fought it all the way, and it's just like you said. I think the the best thing they can do is just a get get over it for Dallas's sake. B for Elliot's sake, to be honest. Because if he just accepted the punishment, like it probably would have. You know, for for him to be cynical, I'm going to be cynical. It for as a career move probably would have been a lot easier for him to just come out and do the repentance thing and actually show some contrition rather than this, this this thing that he's doing. And also just for the sake of like wasting everyone's time and money. Like, yeah.
0: dude, it's it's fucking, ridiculous. Don't, don't punch people. Like, no. uh, we also have uh, Jarrell Freeman, linebacker for the Chicago Bears, has been banned for 10 games for a PED suspension. Uh, the rumour going around is that it's Adderall. There's a lot of questions over his past coming into this as well. Cause I believe he was up in the Canadian Football League for a while and then came down. And his, the timing is all a bit weird for when he's hitting peaks. For, uh, for for a player particularly at that position so uh, 10 games for him and uh, the only other big news I suppose is Cleveland wide receiver uh, which is a Cleveland wide receiver is a surprisingly strong term to put on this player uh, Josh Gordon <laughs> is to seek reinstatement he is a meeting today I believe with the league offices to have a look at this and again there was discussions about the Browns potentially trading his rights if he was to be returning we have a few other little miscellaneous bits and pieces uh, Martel's Bennett has indicated that he's probably going to retire at the end of the season, stating life as the uh, the, the the reason for it. Uh, he hasn't had much of a season really, so uh, yeah, I can see that happening. And it uh, was like two games with Brett Hudley and he's like, "Right, this is enough of yeah, <laughs> that, done. That, that, that's we really done." And uh, other other news, I believe this is now a record. Braxton Miller holds a record for the. Worst yardage for having scored a touchdown in NFL history. So during the week, he got two catches for negative five yards and a touchdown. So he finished on minus five yards, but with a touchdown she happened a few weeks ago we just we just missed it at the time and then finally on to Controversy Corner uh, you might remember last year we had a long discussion or two about this uh, Peyton Manning uh, alleged sexual assaults uh, in college with a, uh, med- a member of the medical staff there how his family then went to pursued her tried to ruin her career and discredit her at all times uh, she has now come back out to speak about this and is now giving television interviews in the wake of the kind of hashtag me too stuff and the Harvey Weinstein uh, I suppose with that we'll move on to our reviews of some of the games from last week. So first up in the Ring of Honour we have Houston at Seattle 38-41. Uh, to 41. Uh, This was an incredibly exciting affair that went right down to the very end. The uh, Basically, Watson versus Wilson in a bullshit-off that was fun for the whole family. Uh, Watson went 19-30 to 30 for 402 yards, four touchdowns and three interceptions, as well as 67 yards rushing. Hopkins went for 224 and a touchdown. The 70s porn aficionado Fuller V went for 125 yards and two touchdowns. It was a so-so run game, but it was a constant back-and-forth. This game was always within one score, which is bizarre when you consider that they threw three interceptions. But, like... This, this seemed to be a Houston offense that was going chunk play rather than progression downfield. They were 2 of 10 on third downs, like so they weren't moving consistently, they were moving in chunks. Seattle looked very good, but they needed a bit of Russell Wilson bullshit magic to happen. They had 3 yards of rushing outside of Russell Wilson, which uh, is very worrying and something that we will obviously be addressing here. Wilson went 26 of 41 for 452 yards, 4 touchdowns and 1 interception, that's fantastic. Uh, Richardson, who we saw at the tail end of last season making some circus catches, had two touchdowns for 100, and 105 yards. Graham had two touchdowns and 39 yards. And uh, Earl Thomas gave them a defensive touchdown as well. Uh, we saw also just on the defense for Seattle, Clark and Bennett performed well, getting kind of two and one and a half sacks uh, each. For the, for, for the team there. So, Harry, I'm going to come to you first on this when we look at this Houston team. They were looking strong and they're only one game back in their division. Like, while there was a lot of messiness here, like you say, there's a couple of turnovers and there was a lot of chunk play rather than, than anything else. Watson is looking good. Like, how can they move to mitigate these interceptions and stuff and, and even like some of the pieces are missing on defense to try and make a run at it? Because they're not far back and this looks like a team that. In its current form, even with them trading away these offensive tackles, which aren't necessarily making a run, moves like they look like they could take a they could take a run of the playoffs this
1: year. Absolutely, I'm going to, to see FC South. I mean, everyone's live until they're not, but mm-hmm. um, this is incredibly impressive. And I'm, I agree with you. This is a, that there's like a little something missing right now from Houston. But what we've seen is bear in mind these these are good teams. Like they played New England very close. They played Seattle very close. Needed some absolute classic. Russell Wilson bullshit to overcome them mm. and offensively like when you look at the turnovers when you look at that this is a, a young quarterback coming out sling the ball against what is you know not what it was at its peak but still one of the best defenses in football mistakes are going to happen in that situation and um, there's going to be things where they're out of sync they're going to misjudge how good the defenders are they're going to misread things it happens especially when you're playing such an aggressive game as they did like you said it was all big plays big impact using the big guys, the speed guys outside. Um, I think after that first pick that that was taken to the house, I think they barely targeted the middle of the field. Everything was outside the numbers. Yeah. I think that the the missing ingredient offensively, really, for Houston in this game is time. And it's just, look, this is... What more can you ask for from a rookie quarterback, really, than this? Yeah, okay, don't turn the ball over, but let's be realistic. It's going to happen when you're playing this aggressively against such a good defense. And this is the kind of game that you look and you're like, right, Sean Watson is going to learn from this. He's going to be a little more careful sometimes. He's going to make sure he's a little more in, in, in sync. They're going to say, right, how do we you know, get the receivers, uh, make sure we know where they're going, make sure everything is, is clicking the way it should do. And that's the kind of thing that's going to happen with a rookie. When your rookie is already at the level where that's the kind of little thing you're going to worry about, you struck gold. And really, it's difficult to think of in the last year, not really since the likes of, of Andrew Luck uh, or, and Wilson himself, have you seen kind of rookies come in and just have that sort of ability to get so much of the basics right Mm -hmm. Um, and and that's just remarkable defensively yes there are problems that we saw some particularly on the final drive for seattle the defensive backfield just disintegrated and while there's a good unit there there's not perhaps they're not perhaps the elite players the guys like jonathan joseph are you know a little over the hill and guys like andre hall are, are reasonably good but aren't fantastic but if I'm Houston I'm not thinking about this because this was never this was never really meant to be a contending year they were going with a rookie who they didn't trust at that point and Tom Savage mm-hmm. they've lost JJ Watt like this is a team that has problems all over the place mm-hmm. and is overperforming. so I'm not like, if we think
0: too worried... If eight, I eight, eight weeks ago, this is a team that the main news story we had was they paid a second-round pick to get rid of a quarterback. Like, that is how much this has changed narratively. Exactly, and that's it.
1: So I, I think the narrative of Houston pushing for the playoffs, it's a nice bonus, mm-hmm. but I think we're expecting too much at this point. And I think you have to look at games like this and be like, this is an incredible building position for next season. You might end up making the playoffs anyway because your division is all over the place, but I don't think Houston should even be thinking about that right now. They're taking this one game at a time and say, what are the lessons we take from this week? to make things a little easier for mm-hmm. ourselves next week.
0: No, of course. Ronan, Wilson was in play and form here, but there was no run game and a lot of stuff had to break right for, for Seattle to be able to take this. Now, I get running back is going to be a big concern moving forward, but like, how do you feel about this team as it's currently set up against like your divisional foes, the Rams and people like that? Because you're not going to get three interceptions every game.
2: Well your opinion but <laughs> like that, that was the really unusual part of this game from the Houston side is that like the Sean Watson did not give a damn he was willing to just throw that ball up and let his guys compete for it he trusted his receivers Seattle really hasn't seen that many quarterbacks try that in a very long time the teams that have t- dismantled them or done well against them over the years have tended to be teams who played a bit conservative build up slowly and then maybe have the occasional play action to take advantage of them expecting the, game, the play to be in front of them. Whereas like Deshaun Watson came straight out of the gate and went long and was not afraid of Earl Thomas, was not afraid of Richard Sherman. And yes, that cost him at points, but and uh, we saw that, you know, when you actually throw the Earl Thomas, when you troll Richard Sherman, they still are ball hawks. It's just that no one really tries anymore. On the offensive side, in terms of run game, yes, the run game is basically a mess because the offensive line is a mess. We'll see if Dwayne Brown coming in will change that. And they can get something going there. But the, the simple fact of the matter there is Ed, Eddie Lacey has been a bust. He looks too slow. He not the burst to really do anything against uh, like uh, with, with an offensive line that isn't making holes for him, which the Seattle line is not doing. And Thomas Rawls looks at, still looks like a shadow of himself. Although he has shown a little bit more burst when he needs to, and J.D. McKessick is a 3rd tag guy, so that's all he is. He's never going to be a in-between-the-tackles guy. Uh, but well, all that's really solidified at this point is the fact that this entire offense is built around Russell Wilson. From a run perspective, from a pass perspective, in every single sense of the word, this is not this is not the Seahawks team that won a Super Bowl where like beast mode was a massive factor where the defence was a massive factor. This is now the Russell Wilson show and he has grown into being the franchise quarterback that I think everyone could have expected him to be and he's now good enough by himself to effectively win games with barely any help at all on the offense. Seattle has is transitioning to a situation where I think they realise they need to support Russell Wilson more and they're starting to do that. In the interim, they're still gonna have to rely on the fact that Russell Wilson is a magic bullshit You know, Superman who will do whatever is
0: required to win because he's been. You know, trained from birth to do that. Uh, next up, we go to the neutral zone. We've got Atlanta at the New York Jets, 25 to 20. Uh, weather impacted this one missed snaps, slippy balls, and uh, dropped passes all over the shop. Ryan, my 18 of 29 for 254 yards and two touchdowns, but he had four botched snaps with uh, with his center, Mac to the extent that they shifted them into the shotgun for the back end just because they just couldn't deal with it anymore. Decent ground production. They got what, 32 carries, 140 yards, so average about 4.4 yards a uh, carry. Uh, Matt Bryant essentially kept them good in this game, four to four. Uh, and one extra point and then they had a failed two point conversion attempt uh, Josh McCown looked kind of similar as well 26 to 33, 257 yards and two touchdowns, there was no real run support here but Al Powell averaged 2.4 yards an attempt, uh, they also had uh, three fumbles as well Robbie Anderson had a nice game, 104 yards and, and, and a touchdown but overall this was two, there was a sloppy game from two teams that both needed a win uh, Atlanta are now one game back in their division behind New Orleans and Carolina and New York Jets are now probably a little bit too far back. They're three games behind the Pats and two games behind Buffalo. Harry, I'll come to you on the Jets, I suppose, first. Jets are still confusing because they're playing hard and they're possibly like saving Todd Bowes' career here, uh, or at least his job for next season. But again, for the third time in a row, they've went into the fourth quarter leading and lost. What needs to change, and is it possible for them to make that change in season?
1: Uh, no uh it isn't possible because what needs change is that the offense isn't good enough it's trying very hard and they're getting the best out of very limited set of players but josh mccown isn't a game-winning quarterback like he's he's fine we know this he's a very solid journeyman but he, he cannot elevate when he needs to because he just doesn't have that level of talent he has a ceiling the running game is a mess all of the running backs are either old or mediocre And the receivers are nothing special either. This is a team that does not have anyone who can pull something out of the bag offensively when they need to. And it's, you know, in a way it's a shame because I said this game would be close, right? I said this game was going to be interesting and it was exactly that. It was sloppy, it was messy, it was tight. The Falcons, admittedly the Falcons let the Jets go away with it and Ronald talk more about this but I mean, like you said, number of fumbles. They were allergic to targeting Julio Jones but the Jets took advantage of that for nearly the entire game Mm. because their defense played really well. Demario Davis, the linebacker, was everywhere as he has been this season you have that kind of that kind of of talent you have your you know your Muhammad Wilkerson's young guys like like Jamal Adams looks good Darren Lee there's huge talent on the defense there is nothing to match that on the offense right now and in Mm -hmm. fact McCowan is playing out of his skin for Josh McCowan but unfortunately that is merely pretty good Mm -hmm. and it's not going to be good enough and there is no solution to that in season Uh, I don't think for the Jets like it's not going to come from Bryce Petty it's sure as shit not going to come from Christian Hackenberg it's not like they have some other receiver or running back they can pull out of the bag they thought for like a week they might have with Elijah McGuire, that turned out to be an outlier the offense just isn't like there's no depth to this really the offense just isn't that good and isn't that talented and it's fine and it's enough that their defense is giving them a platform they can keep games close but at a certain point You do make your own luck, and there is that thing of when you just do not have somebody who can pull that little extra out of the bag, who can hit that other gear, Mm -hmm. the Jets just don't have that offensively right now, and that's why they're getting beaten down the stretch. That's why good teams are waking up in the second half and being able to just
0: Mm -hmm.
1: pull away from them.
0: That's fair enough, Ronan. Atlanta's offense looked poor, and we've mentioned this on the pod numerous times the last couple of weeks. Like Julio Jones had three catches. Uh, there was only three passes to the running backs, given that that was a lot of their scheme was mismatches, movement in the background, just finding finding these spots. A question when we look at this Atlanta team: because they won, but they didn't win convincingly. Like, is this Sarkeesian misusing the talent? Is this Ryan regressing? Or what is, Or maybe people have figured out the, the scheme they're running. Like, what's holding back this Atlanta team? Because the talent is nearly the exact same as it was last year.
2: Yeah, like, I think it's hard not to feel that, you know, there's only one real thing that's changed from last season, and that's the offensive coordinator, and the offence has gone off a cliff. Like, the defence is still kind of where it is, but the offence, which last year was just trampling opponents, uh, is suddenly looking very tepid, looking very uninspired. And I think like with Matt Ryan, like I think last season there's certainly an element that he reached above his average, uh, and there was always like going to be some regression, but I think the level of regression that we've seen is much higher than we should have, would have expected, and I think it shows in that like the sense that the game plan isn't really working. Now I get that Julio Jones and Mohamed Sanu have been dealing with injuries that haven't necessarily been available at all times, and you saw that without those two players, the offense went from like mediocre, like you saw in this game, to actually actively bad that's despite the fact that they still have two, like probably the best one-two punch at running back in Tevin Coleman and Devonta Freeman so for me personally I think the only person the only logical person to blame is Steve Sarkeesian it was a head-scratcher when they hired him and it's even a bigger head-scratcher right now with the way they're playing so hopefully like the coaching staff uh, can take over and kind of like oh, can take over and perhaps empower the offence to like show up and say, like we want to run the type of offense we need. So for me, Sarkeesian is the man to target. I don't think there's any confidence in the building in him anymore. I think it will be the right move to move him on and ensure that the Atlanta Falcons can have the turnaround and the talent on offence to be an
0: NFC contender. And now onto our final game, the dumpster fire this week, Miami at Baltimore, uh, 0-40 on Thursday Night Football. Started uh, well, start of my description is ha 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 uh, I can't believe I was the only one who picked the, the, the Ravens in this one. Uh, it's fantastic. Uh, Flacco got injured on a late hit by Alonso uh, with the Ravens still netted the most lopsided shutout in franchise history. Alex Collins went for 113 yards on 18 carries averaging 6.3 yards a carry and uh, Alan added 55 yards more they had two defensive scores and the special teams one Oof, it's it's a rough game to say that you lose by 40 points Ryan Mallet is in from the second quarter and his stat line is 3 of 7 for 20 yards and a touchdown and they still beat you 40 to nothing Matt Moore was 25 of 44 for 176 yards and 2 interceptions the run game was awful uh, with Jay Ajayi averaging 1.8 yards a carry I see as as punishment that's why he's going to a far better team and uh drake got uh, 22 yards on six carries nothing from the defense either just incredibly flat it was a terrible game but uh just hilarious as well harry uh, is this why they traded a joy can they see that even at four and three this is a lost season for the dolphins (laughs) like
1: oh my god like this was wow Bring back Jay Cutler. In fact, they've actually <laughs> said they're going to bring back Jay Cutler. Like, oh, God. Jay Cutler lost the job and then Matt Moore lost it back.
0: This like, <laughs> is like really, really shit
1: volleyball. This team isn't going to accept it as a lost season. They're not going to because that's, that's not... You, you can't. You're four and three. You 4 and 3 you can not accept it as a lost season. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be because this team isn't very good. But um, I think we knew this team isn't very good, and this team has won games that it really has had no business winning. Mm-hmm. Uh, the record we always thought, b- b- belied how poor they are. And I think we saw it today. And this is remember the dumpster fire a few weeks ago it was the Ravens getting hockeyed by forty points. On this is this was one of the worst performances, like just full stop of the season. It was miserable. It was pathetic. They did. I don't know if they were trying. I don't even think. I think because you look at Cleveland and you're like, ah, they're trying. Like you know, they're giving it. This was just a limp surrender. Um, This team doesn't look okay. Like it looks leaderless. It looks rudderless. You have to ask questions. Like okay, yeah, okay, fair enough. Jay Cutler isn't an aspiring quarterback. Fine, but what? Why can't Adam GaSe get his players to play for him? And that I think is why we're seeing these power moves. It's not we're punishing Ajayi. It's like we're doing this my way. Mm-hmm. this guy is a you know wasn't doing it we're gonna do it this way i'm getting rid of him no matter how talented he might be but genuinely this is a leader this this team looks leaderless and i think that's why you're seeing aggressive moves like this to try and win back the locker room and reinstill mm. discipline because we've seen this same set of players give up before under joe philbin yeah. um the likes of you know the ibm sales <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> the players on this team there's a lot of the same players and they just stopped giving a shit and it looks like the same thing is happening
0: there are reports coming out of like players saying they're just not happy being there or it's yep. just it's just not working so and
1: this is this is the wheels falling off with like it couldn't happen any more spectacularly and to be honest with you this is what happens when you pay 10 million quid to bring Jay Cutler out of retirement it just poisons the whole fucking organization
0: yeah, unfortunately, this happened whenever Jay Cutler wasn't there to poison <laughs> This is even more worrying. Yeah. Uh, Ronan, this is a Ravens team that is incredibly confusing. Uh, the defence can look incredibly dominant, and they, the running back, Collins, looked very good in this. But like, winning without quarterback play, unless you're the Chicago Bears, can't be sustainable, right? No, like this is a team, I think, that's
2: limping right now. But because of the quality of the coaching, because of like how much that organisation comes together and can stick together it's managed to eke out a 4-4 four and four record at the halfway point which is incredibly impressive considering the amount of like players that they've lost and the issues that they faced and the fact that Joe Flacco like is unhealthy and when he gets on the field he gets knocked down and is, got, is put out of again and then you're relying on Ryan Mallet I think Alex Collins was a bright spot in this game and I think you know like the, the problem with Alex Collins and why he was cut by Fisial, for example is that he his ball security can be a bit suspect, it looks like he might be sorting that out and if he can do that he looks like a very good offensive player and I think overall on the offence it's really just about limping into the uh, into their bye week, which I think is, a, is, is the week after this week mm-hmm. and just getting players back getting Danny Woodhead back, getting Joe Flacco a week to just not get hit would be nice uh, and getting uh, like Mike Wallace back Like, these aren't, like, game-changers by any stretch of the imagination, but just getting a somewhat semi-functional
1: offence going would be nice. How dare you? How dare you take Danny Woodhead's name in vain? That man changes (laughs) games for a living. (laughs) Fair enough. But, like, uh, I think on
2: the defence, Brandon Williams came back and made an instant impact and showed why he got paid, like, elite nose-tackle money. And I think the defence, while somewhat inconsistent, is probably still good enough to hold, like, you know, like most of the defences to a reasonable amount of yards. I think Baltimore right now, realistically, what they're aiming to do is to kind of get enough people back to kind of get into the playoffs probably as a wild card team. And we know that this team, because of the, like the organization and the quality organization, has a chance once it gets in that situation to do some stuff in the playoffs. But right now, it's just about surviving week after week and taking down these lesser teams and getting the points off them. I think that will be what they'll see again when they play Tennessee this week, can they do that? Can they get that
0: done? Yeah, fair enough. So I suppose with that, one, we've got some questions from the listeners. So we got a question in from uh, Keen, and it says, after the quarterback trades groups this week, will the Browns have to give up on the process and just clean house in the front office? So this is a question. We got a couple of questions in on this Uh it's in relation to what happened with the Cleveland Browns uh, and how they managed the trade deadline. So as I was well aware, the Cleveland Browns have had an interest for a number of months now in Jimmy Garoppolo. They have an interest in almost any quarterback that might be available out there at the <laughs> moment. Uh, and yeah, so Harry, do you want to give a quick context on just how Sashi Brown made a hames of this? Yes,
1: there are two two parts of the story. We'll, we'll, start, we'll, start, we'll start with the confirmed one. We'll start the confirmed one.
0: Well, the other one is partially
1: confirmed, mm-hmm. to be fair, at this point. So it's all very bad, even the best case scenario. So, obviously, trade deadline happens. Normally, the front office staff will stay late the days of the, the day of the deadline and a couple of days beforehand um, to keep an eye on what's happening. If somebody's bidding to make sure there's somebody there to, to take calls and field calls mm-hmm. and make calls. Sashi so Brown went home at 5 p.m., Just decided to, you know, fuck it, I'm going to go and get a donut and go home. Sashay away. And then he got a phone call off the coaching staff saying, where are you? San Francisco have just traded for Jimmy Garoppolo. (laughs) Like, he was presumably, I don't know, tucked up in his jammies watching Game of Thrones. Like, you have literally one job, right? One job, which is to acquire talent. And you're dossing off somewhere instead of doing that job. It's crazy. You miss out on a player that you've been flirting with for pretty much the best part of a season now because you literally have nobody there to act on it because the guy who's in charge of this has just decided I'm going to take an early day like I'm sorry this, this, is, this, is, this is America you don't have labour laws trap them in the fucking office like this is how it works <laughs> it, 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 it's so Browns it's just so very very Cleveland that they are about to have somebody who they would have actually paid probably paid more for last season potentially drop into their lap mm-hmm. and there's nobody there to take advantage of the fact that Jimmy Garoppolo is suddenly very much available and San Fran are able to get him there may have been other teams involved. We don't know, but we do know that Cleveland sure as hell weren't because Sashi Brown decided to go home early. Like that is just
0: unacceptable. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. And like I said, like this, no, the, 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 there's also I do kind of like the the conspiracy theory doing the rounds that Bill Belichick just hates Cleveland now, and he wouldn't he one <laughs> wouldn't do it to Jimmy G to send him to Cleveland, but also just like fuck you Cleveland, uh, as, wow. he has, as he as he he sent players there in what would appear to be punishment moves. <laughs> per- <laughs> Previously, did you but see? Th- did you see Jamie Collins' tweet? Actually, <laughs> I, I'm just wondering when, the, when uh, I think Schechter broke the news
1: story. Jamie Collins responded to it with, huh. Must have wanted Von Miller money. Yeah.
0: Oh, God. Um, but yeah, so then the, the follow-on the follow from this, because that's the part that's definitely confirmed that they had their, their whole crew left at 5pm and didn't actually do their fucking job. But uh, the other part then was that there was meant to be a trade arranged between the Browns and the Bengals for AJ McCarron, who we discussed last week in the podcast as probably one of the better backups that are knocking around the league at the moment. And uh, so... There are several reports knocking around about this that the trade was agreed, paperwork was sent, and it was sent with a signature. And then that the final version that went to the NFL was sent missing one of the signatures. And that rather than phoning in the trade and confirming the trade to the NFL, the Browns front office were celebrating that they had gotten a trade done <laughs> and didn't get this done in time. Uh, I I would like to think that's not true, just because holy shit, like how can you be that incompetent and get paid like a couple of million quid a year to do your fucking job like like I know we've seen how shitty their scouting team is in draft day the film right but that can't be that like is this just proving draft day to be a documentary rather than a piece of fiction like I just don't get it like Fitz what do you reckon like to to, to bring this back to the initial question like if this is in any way true, so we've got the confirmed part that we know is true, and that on its own I think would be grinding enough. Surely they need to be looking at shifting out this front office staff because they're not on the same page as the coaching staff are whatsoever, and they're going to need to make that change. Yeah, I think that's
2: the. the like, I think all the screw ups and all that kind of stuff is evidence enough, but I think the fact that the coaching staff is basically now an open revolt against this front office means that if you're an ownership you have to make a choice. You either believe that the coaches are good and worth keeping on, or you believe the front office have the long term plan that you think will, you know, save this franchise. Not sure either of those are true to be honest, but like certainly based on the evidence we have right now, the front office is more of a screw up uh, than the coaching staff right now. And that gives me reason enough to believe that, you know, if this is a functional organization they pretty much have to clear highs at this point. Yeah, like you know, to answer Keane's question, yes, they have to get rid of the front office because at this point, you either need to get rid of them and the coaching staff at the end of the season, or you need to get rid of it and trust your coaching staff and let them have input into the new uh, front office structure. There really is no good solution here. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Cleveland. It's sorry.
1: Wor- worth, it's we worth adding. We've hyped you up two seasons in a row, and this is what happens. It's, it's worth adding that after that. Uh... Pretty sure Sashi's fucked up every single draft he's been in charge of as well.
0: Yep. They've turned down good quarterbacks several occasions. They've picked <laughs> poor players. They've just... It's just it's just not good. Like, my, my only concern with this, uh, to, to put a button on of for Keane, is that, yes, I think they should get rid of the front office. My problem is I'm not conv- convinced entirely that they're loving this coaching staff and how the coaching staff are developing things and whether what they might do is try and do a full clear out where they pick out now it could be that they clear out the front office staff bring in new front office staff and then go on a pursuit of a head coach afterwards but i'd imagine they're going to want to get two things working in tangent here so if they want to do that and they want to do a full clear out they might wait until they can ditch the whole lot in one go uh, and with that i suppose we'll move on to our previews for next week's games Okay, guys, so let's fly through the games for next week. First up, we've got Buffalo at the New York Jets. We've gone Buffalo across the board in this one. Why is that, Harry?
1: Yeah, this is a pretty close one for me to call, but I think Buffalo's defense has just been so good that when you have an anemic offense like the New York Jets that is fine but not great, you just assume that Buffalo are going to be able to shut them down and grind out another Mm. probably-like game where both teams combine for 19 points or something like that.
0: No, this
2: shouldn't. is this is one of those games that's actually for the purists. That's not just a joke. Yeah. It's for the people who are like classic
0: football. Mm. Yeah, this, this 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 will be watching like a like nineteen seventy eight kind of style matchup. Uh, next up, Tampa Bay at New Orleans. We've gone New Orleans across the board. Fitz, Tampa Bay
2: right now are a complete mess, and New Orleans actually have a defense and actually have an offensive like plan like a, been I calling exactly. it for a few weeks now they have an offensive plan that isn't just Drew Brees throw it for 5000 yards please so you would assume based on that New Orleans at home should have enough to take on a of Bay team that just looks lost at the moment uh, so take New Orleans here
0: Yeah also I believe Harry has submitted an an addendum to potentially add Tampa Bay to our teams that we're just not going to discuss anymore so they will be joining the Arizona Cardinals in that group. Uh, We will have a vote during uh, this week and decide (laughs) what the the story will be on that one. Uh, Next up Atlanta Carolina. This is Ronan's game of the week. Uh, I've gone Carolina, Fitz has gone Carolina and Harry has gone Atlanta. Ronan tell us a bit about this game.
2: Yeah, so I think, like, you know, a running trend through a lot of my picks this, this year has been, like, you know, pick those teams who are kind of on the bubble, uh, like, not perhaps in the top strata, but in the strata just below. And that's exactly what we're looking at with two teams that are confusing this year. So, like, I think both of their defences are about where we expect them to be. Caroline's defence is good, uh, although it's had a couple of weeks which were strangely off. And Atlanta's defence is kind of where we are. It's, like, a very, like, like it's kind of rough around the edges, but it gets the job done. It hasn't been terrible. But on the offense, both of these teams have been completely the opposite of kind of what we expect. Atlanta, as we discussed in the reviews, were last year a high-flying offense with like the, most, like with the best running backs, with the best offensive passing. Matt Ryan to peak of his powers. Yet this year looked like a completely different team. Look in net, look slow, look mistake-ridden. Look like they don't know how to use their best players, like Julio Jones and Devonta Freeman. Uh, and, and basically, we're not really sure what this team is. And as I said, Steve Sarkisian probably has take a lot of blame for that. But we'll see if the you know whole organization can kind of work around that and kind of, you know, or the team, the offense can take control. On the Carolina side, you know, this is an offense whose identity uh, in the last few years was built on being a physical, tough offense, run game orientated, yet this year has one of the worst running games in the NFL. Uh, they have Christian McCaffrey. He's not a good running back. He can pass like hes, he's
0: pretty a good much slot like, receiver, and that's about it. Mm.
2: Yeah, he's like he's like a third down receiver, slot receiver, or third down back, slot receiver type of player, utility player, basically, kind of useful in certain aspects, but not a running back. And they kind of never really got Jonathan Stewart going, and they're kind of, like, and they keep alternating and trying to go beyond the Cam Newton, like you know, hold the ball and just take the punishment type of situation. But I think. You know they're both actually, despite their travails, in a good position um, in terms of the record—five and three and four and three, respectively. But they are facing the fact that New Orleans is now a force in the division again, so it isn't just a situation where they can split this between them. So I think with that pressure from New Orleans, this is a huge game for defining where who's going yeah. to come out top on a suddenly stacked NFC side. And I think you know on the balance of it, I think Carolina have shown more, and I think what they will do. Uh, towards the end of the season, what they've really confirmed by getting with of Kelvin Benjamin, To my mind, is that they're going to go back to the offensive uh, plan that worked. They're going to return to Cam Newton shoving the ball down the throat of opposition, and then using play action with their speedy receivers. And they talked about the Steven rid of Kelvin Benjamin. Um, uh, like you know, they, they're up, they're not that speedy, but they're fine. And I think they'll return to what got them to the Super Bowl. Whether that'll be effective or not over the course of the season, I don't know. But I think it will be effective against an Atlanta. Defense, which I don't think has quite set at the level we need to, and I think that defense in Carolina against that like sputtering of Atlanta offense could make a lot of hay, which they have done this season. So, I think on the balance that they're at home and that defense looks so ferocious against the Atlanta offense, which is sputtering, I think they could have enough just here to kind of make a massive win in the NFC South and kind of push towards a you know kind of uh, identity defining. Uh, game for them going forward this season yeah. we'll see if that comes through or not but I think this is a incredibly important game and it should be fascinating for two teams which are very much in contention yet have major question marks going over them uh, over the first half of the season and seeing if they can turn it around and turn into the Super Bowl contenders that they were in the last couple of seasons
0: Yeah. Uh, next up we have LA Rams at New York Giants we've taken the Rams across the board in this one Harry uh, doesn't need a huge I think amount, the Giants are extremely bad
1: and the Rams are not that bad. So, yeah, it's, look, it's just hard to see the Giants winning
0: games right now. Yeah, it, it really just, is. Meh. And the Rams, to be honest, are looking quite quite tasty at the moment. Uh, we'll see how they continue to progress. Next up, it's my pick of the week, Baltimore at Tennessee. Uh, I've gone Baltimore and you two guys have gone Tennessee. Yeah, it should be fun. Uh, Baltimore's defense looking good again. Uh, Joe Flacco was at practice, uh, but they found something in the running back that gives them a bit of a game outside of it. Uh their defense looks great. Tennessee has looked anemic of late. I was just looking through my numbers for them. Tennessee have only got three games so far where they scored more than 16 points this year. This is not an exciting offense. They're looking to try and establish their ground game. Baltimore are the type of defense that can shut that down and we've seen that they, the Tennessee have struggled to get success. Now, the downside for Baltimore is obviously that they don't have much in the way of an offense at the moment. <laughs> we'll see how that might look. They should be able to lean on their defense a good bit in this game given how Tennessee's offense has looked. But this is a game where Tennessee are currently, uh, I think, either in the lead or tied for the lead in their division. Baltimore are two games back from from uh, from the Steelers and they need to start picking up games like this. I think Tennessee are, as, as Ronan was talking about this, kind of like, unsure of identity looking to try and solidify that that's where Tennessee are at the moment they've had some brutal games they've had some good games but on the balance of things I'm not convinced by them whatsoever at the moment Baltimore I'm not convinced of as a team but I am convinced by their by their defence and I think they're going to be able to, to, to deliver here especially Boyd after their performance on Thursday night Getting those extra couple of days of rests going into this game, being able to game plan for it, knowing that they might not have Joe Flacco and might need to le- run on the lean on the running game, I think they'll be prepared for it. Uh, although, because I picked Baltimore my own last time and I got a got a got an extra pick ahead <laughs> that way, and then I go for it again, double down on it. Why not <laughs> Baltimore to beat Tennessee? And uh, next up, Cincinnati at Jacksonville. We've gone Jacksonville across the board. Fits, yeah. Like
2: uh, I think Jacksonville are a good like have shown enough on the defense that they can. Take down lesser offenses, uh, and Sudadi's offense, while has shown some signs of life, really still looks a
0: bit anemic, and their defense is fine. Well, yeah, Jacksonville across the board, Denver at Philly, uh, we've got Philly across the board, Hi. <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't think Brock Lobster is going to necessarily solve uh, Denver's offensive problems, and while their defense is good, it doesn't matter if your offense can't move the ball. Philly's defense, their front seven, Very is nasty. Good. Um, Denver's Denver offensive did, line is yeah, dirt. Yeah, exactly. Denver's offensive line still does not look uh, considerable. And Brock, Brock Lobster is tall, so he's got further to fall to the ground, which That's is true. bad. But yeah, Philly looked like top to bottom just a better team than Denver right yeah, now. One
0: hundred percent. Indianapolis at uh, Houston. We've got Houston across the board. I think this one's pretty obvious. Uh, Houston are looking real good. Indianapolis are not. <laughs> Maybe they'll be by the definition of uh, luck going to IR, and now they know they have to do it on their own. They have to stand on their own two feet. He nearly beat Cincinnati, which uh, is something. Something, yes. <laughs> uh, some would call it nearly a football game. Uh, but yeah, Houston across the board. Washington and Seattle, we're taking Seattle across the board. Fits.
2: Yeah, like I think Seattle showed that they, they still have a talent. They bring in Dwayne Brown, it's a little bit of a defensive line. I think Washington's offensive line is now a Seattle Week 1 offensive line. Because they're just bringing loads of random people in. So yeah. you'd imagine between like the improvements in Seattle that we've seen over the last few weeks and Washington's offense sputtering with all the changes they are to make on that offensive line, that Seattle should have enough at home to, to take it home.
0: Yeah. Uh, next up we have Arizona at San Francisco. So Fitz has gone San Francisco, Harry is gone, Hell is empty and all the devils are here. Uh, who are you actually picking in this one, Harry? Uh,
1: probably San Francisco.
0: I'm so torn on this one. Uh, I'm also going to go San Francisco, but I was very close. Basically, you, Hell is empty. Yeah, like, basically, this is going to be a god-awful game. Feck it, I'll go for Arizona. Why not? Arizona, just because... Adrian, Adrian Peterson is a player, Do we know that much, and he had one good game so far. Uh, I... Um, that's
1: pretty hard to disagree with I, I will say that San Francisco have several players almost one of which I can name mm. um, who are also football players some of whom may or may not have had good games yeah So uh, this is just yeah this is just a why
0: yeah this, this is one of the ones that like you know the way people often discuss like oh man I really wish we could flex out of this game like if there was a version of flexing out of a game where the game didn't happen that would be what this would be for
1: like if you just get rock paper scissors at the coin toss in fact actually yeah whoever wins the coin toss wins the game
0: yeah Done. makes sense like, at least that they could shovel them
2: into like the early afternoon games so you would get lost in the shuffle but because it's a late afternoon game it'll be like one of the four games yeah. that to actually yeah. show you and it's like I, I,
1: don't I will do I will say I'd be like happier picking San Fran rather than doing it by default if Garoppolo was starting, but they well, said he's or, not or, going or, to start That, this that week. was
0: that was my thinking of yeah. like because there's also then you've just got you've got the the what's the name? Beat hard, isn't it? CJ Beathard. <laughs> Be- yeah, beat hard. Hard. I think the big question is whether they'll avoid the temptation of having Garoppolo active and available, or whether they'll keep him inactive. ooh uh, yes, if, if, if they if he's on the if he's on the sideline
1: they will play him halfway into this game, yeah. I'm almost definitely... Oh, yeah, I just yeah, want. I just want to see if Andrew Stanton gets benched for playing like.
0: See, this is my problem. Like, my, like my last minute swapped Arizona's base and like, well, he's not going to be active for this game. So, they're gonna, they're just going to have, like, Bethard, like, kind of... Because he knows his career is basically done now. Yeah. <laughs> so, he's going to go <laughs> like hell for leather and going to throw some fucking picks or something. Because the only way he's going to get a backup... Because he's not going to even get a backup job by just being like, oh well done you went 12 of 26 for 96 yards and no touchdowns no interceptions so he's going to have to try and push it or do something Uh, so he might fuck up Uh, next up is Harry's pick of the week Kansas City at Dallas Uh, we've got Kansas City across the board here tell us about this surely as games go for them to not have their running back in and have to go to their backup ones the Chiefs I think are the worst or the second worst against the run yeah uh, are they really? Well, we're giving up fucking chunks. I, mean, of I, knew you were, I knew
1: you were like not great, but I didn't realize it was it was that bad. Um, we're not
0: like, well. We're not we're not doing that badly in geez. terms of points scored. Right, we're giving okay, up a gosh. shit ton of yardage.
1: Yeah, and it's a, it's an interesting one um, because like two things. Firstly, thing, because we want to see what's going to happen to Dallas without Zeke Elliott, particularly over the last two weeks. Zeke Elliott has gone mental, admittedly against not that good teams, but he has gone bonkers recently. Whereas Dallas's are. Uh, Passing game has been sputtering somewhat for the last of a while, and continues to do so. Des Bryant looks a shell of himself, and the rest of their receivers are like the shambling corpse of Jason Witten and some dudes. Whereas Kansas City, like, we saw them against Denver hop out to this, this lead very, very quickly off the base of their defensive play... And then sort of just stopped playing football yeah. for a large chunk of the game, which, which it's was really great if you had. Irritating. <laughs> well, it's great if you've got Harrison fucking Butker as your fantasy kicker, <laughs> but otherwise it's a Boat bit. Butkicker.com. It's, it's a bit mystifying. So um, this is going to be like, it's weird because Kansas City started off the season with this sort of hyper aggressive kind of play, and it's backed off and backed off and backed off. We know that Andy Reid does some weird stuff sometimes, it looks like he's just going through one of those phases. Whereas Dallas are a team, we're seeing the defense gel now. We're seeing them play a lot better. Um, Demarcus Lawrence and David Irving, who we called out last week, have been really, really good on that defensive line for the last while. We're seeing better plays out of it, Better play out of their young cornerbacks. Orlando Scandrick coming back has made a big difference. He mm-hmm. seems to be having, by Orlando Scandrick standards, a career year. So you've got this kind of weird, like these teams that are both, one team that should be good but wasn't, and is now coming up a bit, but is then suddenly facing a loss of a key offensive weapon versus a team that was meant to be good, started well, and is now kind of meandering into a weird, I don't want to say complacent, but it does kind of feel like that spot where they feel they can just keep opponents at arm's length and just grind out games without taking any risks. You're up against a Dallas team that's going to be trying a lot of fucking shit in that running game to try and get things going, and particularly with Kansas City, as you say, being quite porous against the run, that's going to make this game a little more interesting than we thought it was now. Now... Kansas City should be able to win because we've seen what Kansas City can do this season and Kansas City, at their best, have been better than the best we've seen from Dallas. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to know. And also we also saw, by the way, last night, uh, a, a small note. Yes, against Denver's defense, which is good, but for the first time we saw Kareem Hunt look grand, but not great. He got essentially locked down. When you're trying to control the game, you need to be able to do that. When you've got this defensive line like Dallas' is causing all kinds of problems for opposing quarterbacks with their pass rush, you need to be able to lean on that running game. And if Kareem Hunt is getting, now maybe it was just a week, maybe it was just one of those things, it's a tough defense. But if teams, if Denver saw something, if they're starting to see something about how can we actually do something effective against the Kansas City game, against all this motion, against all the things they do in the backfield. That's where things get interesting because I said this at the start of the season that the way Kansas City were playing and the way they played against the Patriots is not sustainable over a 17-game season, because te- 17-week season rather, because teams are good enough to figure that out. And it's going to be interesting to see if what we saw last week was just a result of a really good defense in Denver or if it's something that a less good but still talented up front defense in Dallas can also exploit. I think they are going to exploit it, but I don't think they're going to have enough in the tank. And I don't think they're going to have enough particularly in the passing game to get ahead of Kansas City. But I think this is going to be a lot closer than people might expect.
0: Mm. No, I think I think it'll be an interesting one. It's one that I'm kind of half looking at going, "Whoa, might this be one that we drop? Because, uh, yeah, we'll see. Because I think we've got, we're literally playing two games in the space of a month at the moment. We've got a huge break uh, after this one. Yeah, it'll be be interesting to see. Next up, we've got Oakland at Miami. We've gone Oakland across the board. Why, you ask? Uh, Connor finally picks Oakland. Yeah, let's be honest. (laughs) If you can lose... Fucking forty to nothing to the Baltimore Ravens. I'm pretty sure you can't deal with the Oakland offense. Yeah, like I said, I'm standing by. Like I've, I've been correct in my times of picking against the Oakland guys. I've said I'm not sure about them, but uh, but yeah, that's that this this Oakland team will dismantle this kind of on the ropes Miami team that doesn't stand a chance. And finally, Detroit at Green Bay. Uh, Fitz, we've got Detroit, and you know I don't like picking Detroit, but I think there's a two word answer as to why we're all picking Detroit. Uh, Rodgers? Uh, <laughs> Brett, Brett, Brett Hundley. I okay. <laughs> yes, Brett Hundley, who is the
2: ghost of Aaron Rodgers, but to that of a quarterbacking. Um, yeah, so Brett Hundley looked terrible. Detroit looked average at the moment, but that'll probably be enough uh, with what Green Bay have to their disposal. The fact that Green Bay were apparently strongly trying to get Brian Hoyer uh, off, off, the, off the waivers gives you an indication of where they think Brett Hundley is right now. Uh, not good is the short of that so
0: give it to Mm. Detroit no of course so yeah that kind of wraps them up for this week I was saying I was very annoyed I went I was just one game short of a perfect week on the predictions last week Uh, that fucking Russell Wilson bullshit at the end of the game kind of ruined it for me (laughs) Uh, that's right ladies that's the noise he makes when he ejaculates did you see uh, Russell, Russell
1: Wilson's Halloween thing
0: oh he went as uh, Pete it was thing.
1: almost funny which Russell Wilson was pretty good that is like. that is
0: impressive uh, <laughs> there's actually uh, during the game
2: ending celebration there's actually a clip of Russell Wilson Pretending to play the flute as all his all of players are jumping around celebrating, it's it's quite strange. Um, you okay. join the latest in a long series of strange Seahawks gifts that have emerged since showed up
0: on their shores. Oh god, it's uh, they're probably just chemtrails. No, it's, 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 it's the uh, it's the chemicals in the water they are turning the frogs gay. Oh my! But no, uh, that's So any any crack for the rest of the week for the weekend, lads.
1: Uh, no, I'm taking the Monday off to make up for the bank holiday, so I can get nice and drunk watching the football on Sunday.
0: Very nice. You actually gonna be around this week? Uh, yeah, I, I should be, Connor. provided that uh, provided that the baby doesn't land. Uh, oh, but even if the baby lands, true. as long as it doesn't land at like fucking seven PM, baby. I'm probably just gonna come down anyway. Bring the baby. will a good crack. You? No, well, no, good I, did see, uh, I
1: did just see. I did see something there. Uh, sorry. Just just now, that remember that we all made those jokes about Sam Darnold staying in college if he didn't like or the number one pick. That was only that was only half a joke. It, it appears to not be a joke yeah. now. The there's a rumor being reported by a pretty reliable uh, beat reporters and NFL.com guys that uh, Darnold's people are saying that if the Browns and this is I think goes back to the question we uh, about the Browns dysfunction. If the Browns have the number one pick, Darnold will stay in college.
0: Yeah, or at least he's heavily considered. Maybe
1: maybe he'll pull in Eli Manning
0: Yeah. That's it. Like, but realistically, like, if you were in that spot, you'd do the same, wouldn't you? Like, I wouldn't... Uh, I wouldn't want to... Are remember. you
1: kidding me? I, I, I wouldn't if I... As me, not as, a, like, a theoretical quarterback me, mm. but as just me, hell yeah, I'd play quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. how bad could it be? Yeah, like, so that
0: you just, you're guaranteed, like, what, if you're first overall pick, you're, what, by, by 18 million guaranteed? Oh, I was just
1: thinking, no, like, I'm a bit shorter, but nobody would actually functionally notice the skill level drop-off between, <laughs> say, Kevin Hogan and me.
0: Yeah. Like these, these, This is the crew that drafted both like a thirty-eight-year-old ex-basketball <laughs> or a baseball player and a, like fourteen-year-old who had just learnt what drugs were. So <laughs> they don't exactly have a great record on uh, on selection. Like, oh, this this, this guy like he, he smokes twenty fags a day and he doesn't really bother coming to the practice. Yeah, but he's got that grit, that grit hey, that we like. Hey,
1: twenty fags a day work for Lem Dawson. Like, it's let's true, be <laughs>
0: But, uh, but yeah, no, nothing else too wild a crazy planned myself. I don't think uh, I've got to pick up the folks and then I think we've got some of I think my sister is down on the weekend because I think they're all landing down because the baby is planned to be uh-huh. knocking around so uh, worth worthwhile everyone just sticking the head in and seeing what the crack yeah. is. Yeah, so like I say always keep your questions coming in on the email, Twitter, Pornhub account all that kind of stuff. We'll chat to you next week so it says bye from myself, bye from Harry, Goodbye. bye from Ronan, this has been all four quarters thanks for listening and we'll catch you in a week's time